In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Bree Schumacher is our guest this week on Money Tales. Bree is a lifelong entrepreneur who took a $500 loan and turned it into a seven-figure business with over 100 employees that she ran for 19 years. Bree sold that business in 2020. While she could easily have sold it to a competitor and immediately walked away, Bree went with her heart. She knew selling the precious business to one of her long-standing employees was the right move for the business and to secure Bree's legacy. Bree creatively structured a deal that allowed the employee to buy Bree out over time. The payout period is nearly up, and Bree shares how the scarcity money mindset of her youth is being triggered as the cash flow comes to an end, even though her family is financially secure. Bree is a mom of three boys, and she hosts the Seizure Midlife podcast, which Sandy and I were fortunate to be guests of. In addition, Bree loves to travel, and she founded a travel company called Be Somewhere Sunny. Here are three key money topics Bree hits on in this conversation with us. First, what it's been like to sell a successful business and have to reinvent herself. Second, how changing from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset requires more than just intention. Planning and education play large roles too. And third, her perspectives on how to avoid the, I wish I would have statements when you reach midlife and beyond. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to the Money Tales podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Now on to our conversation with Bree Schumacher. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cammie Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Sandy, I had a money conversation this past week I thought would be fun to share. And it's it's a little different than ones we've talked about on Money Tales. I was at the CMO Forum. And for our listeners, the CMO Forum is a group of marketing professionals in our industry, in the RIA space, independent wealth management firms, and firms like Asperian that have grown to a size and a maturity where they have invested in and built out a marketing group. And we share best practices and we learn from each other. And it's organized by our friends at Dimensional Fund Advisors. And it's really a priceless time of sharing. I thought about some of the tools we've talked about on Money Tales. I used them in a business setting because I wanted the opportunity to talk with people about their marketing budgets. Ah, that's an important money conversation. Sandy, it was so important, but I also realized it could be private or people could feel vulnerable or all the things that money can bring up. So I asked for permission and across the board, everybody said yes. I was thoughtful with my questions, really being intentional with what what I wanted to ask. I was curious, you know, at one point, 
one of the responses was surprising to me. And when we, I learned a little bit about how they allocate some of their expenses towards marketing that we wouldn't. And I thought about being curious. We talk about that. And it was just really important. I also learned that like we are with humans, money aligns with values also in business. Where you spend your money and invest your money shows the values of the organization. Just really a fun experience for me to think of it through this lens. I love that you're bringing money talk skills to the CMOs. Did anyone (laughs) have any surprising responses to the conversation itself? I think it was that they appreciated the conversation. They actually really appreciated that I asked because it wasn't just me taking, it was me sharing. We learned together, we grew together. And because I asked permission, it just became a very comfortable conversation to have. Well done, Cammy. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Sandy. All right. Well, let's welcome our guest, Bree Schumacher. It is really fantastic to be talking with you today on the Money Tales podcast. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm not very often on the other side of the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> it does change things, doesn't it? Yeah, I feel a little nervous. <laughs> well, we hope you get rid of your jitters and we have a great conversation. We know we will. Let's start off by having you introduce yourself, Bree, and in doing so, provide a couple pivotal moments that have taken place in your life really impacting who you are today. I guess I would first start off by saying that I'm a multi-passionate person, um, which has made for an interesting and colorful life. I am a lifelong serial entrepreneur. Um, I started selling things as a little girl and basically have been creating businesses ever since. Probably my greatest achievement to date is taking a $500 loan and turning it into a seven-figure business with over a hundred employees that I wow. ran for. Yeah, ran for 19 years. That was through 2020. And so here I am today working on reinventing myself as a midlife woman. So that's really exciting, Bree. When you were a kid selling things, what were you selling? I grew up with a single mom who worked full time cleaned our apartment buildings for extra money while she was finishing first her bachelor's degree and then her master's degree. And so we didn't have a lot of extras. That's probably an understatement, actually. And so I was scrappy. I would go to our pool at our apartment building and sell popcorn and lemonade and coconut macaroons without the coconut because we didn't have coconut. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so curious what a coconut macaroon is without the coconut. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. I don't recall people buying that, but they did buy the popcorn and the lemonade. And I also famously um, dressed up like a gypsy and told people's fortunes at the playground. So... (laughs) Bree, tell us more about what it was like growing up in your household with your mom, who was constantly busy as she was raising you. So my siblings, there's a 20, 17 to 20 year gap. Um, so at the time like of my childhood, it was me and my brother. I mean, in a lot of ways, my childhood was amazing because it was like quintessential 80s childhood that allowed for a lot of freedom and time outside and coming in when the lights came on and a lot of wonderful things. But I think it took till my adult years to kind of look back and go, wow, like I had experiences because of our lack of money that probably a lot of other kids never had to experience. Like I can remember our apartment was on the second floor. 
Um, I can remember looking out to the parking lot and seeing our car get repossessed. And my mom telling the story that I went to the playground telling everyone our car was possessed because, you know, I was a little girl. (laughs) I would ask my girlfriend that, you know, my friend that lived next door, we would play games. And I would always say, can we play restaurant? Because I always wanted to order the, the Doritos off our pretend menu that she had at her house because we never had snacks and things like that. You know, I think if you grew up poor, there are things that like when I say this in your listeners here and they grew up similar, they're going to this is going to hit home for them. Like being at the checkout line and having to put things back, you know, like literally you've you've handed the thing over to the cashier and then she says like twenty five dollars and you're like, oh, put the bread back, put the whatever back because I only have twenty dollars. You know, that's, I think, a core memory of being somebody who grows up without money. Um, Another thing is I don't recall ever a single time in my childhood that we filled up our gas tank all the way. You know, you would always say, because this is back again, this is like the 80s. um, It was full service gas. And we would say, you know, fill it up $5 and buying one roll of toilet paper at a time. It's just, there's just, I think some very core memories that, like I said, I don't know that I necessarily knew how much they would go on to form my adult mentality around money. That's very common, Brie, because that's all we know as kids is our experience. We don't know that there is a difference. So tell us about how you came to become aware of how your experiences impacted you as you moved into adulthood. You know, it's interesting because I never wanted for anything. I think anybody that knew me during that time would be like, she always had cute clothes and she always looked, you know, pulled together. I I don't think anybody probably knew there was a Thanksgiving where we were dropped off a meal from the Salvation Army. You know, nobody would have ever known that. And my mom had this saying that I've come to realize is not the best advice, but she would always say money has a way of working itself out. And somehow, in a lot of ways, it did. You know, I went to a very fancy college prep high school that I think back and think, how on earth did I go to that school? You know, how did I go to that school? I don't know. I don't know. How on earth did you? You know, at that time, my mom had remarried, but we still had no money. So I'm not sure. But like, there were a lot of truths in that um, statement, you know, in some ways. But what I've come to realize, and I think like kind of the eye opener for me has been it's been more recent than you would think. Because as I grew my business, you know, that like I said, I started from nothing. I continued to pay myself the same for 10 years, probably. My accountant would say, max out your 401k. And I couldn't bear to because I was afraid of losing the money. I just lived kind of in this very small fear-based way of, you know, I I want to keep all this money that I have, I don't ever want to take a risk. And so it wasn't until I sold my business, to be honest, that I look back at those years and go, oh my God, like there were times that my company checking account would have $400,000, $500,000 on it. And I think all that missed interest. But when you grow up poor, the words interest, the words investment, the words savings, that is not part of your vernacular. I mean, you are so often digging in the car to find some extra change to buy that taco from Taco Bell. You know, you know, just like poor people don't golf, poor people don't talk about money in future sense. 
that advice or that that saying of money has a way of working itself out. The truth is that the scarcity mindset changing to an abundant mindset doesn't change with that idea. It changes with like planning and education that I just truly never had. Bree, describe this coming through a period of fear and not having the financial experiences, like you said. How did you come through that as you sold your business? And where did you end up after you sold your business and you had this reflection of, wow, I was fear-based? I mean, I probably have known it to some degree, right, all along that I lived that way because my sister and I would joke about like stockpiling the the paper products and things like that. It's not like a huge shock, but I think what happened was I sold my business. I didn't sell it for like a cash exchange, but I was able to cash out the checking account. So I did have some amount of money all of a sudden that gave me this little bit of freedom. And so I was like wow, okay, I got to learn about this. And so all of a sudden, you know, and I had more time because I now wasn't managing a company plus three kids. So I started just educating myself and trying to learn about things. You know, I moved my money to a high yield savings account, which like I said, nobody had ever told me what that was before. Um, I bought a condo that I renovated. You know, I just started taking a little bit more risk because I felt like I could and I felt like I should. But the truth is, It's funny because, again, like just not having the knowledge, I jumped on this trade station website where you can buy and sell stocks. And this is coming from a person who never even had like a, you know, anything background in stocks. And, you know, it's it's moving up and down because it's live stocks. I'm like, oh, oh, wow. So excited. And I buy all these stocks. Well, then I got an, an email saying that I owed money. And I was like, that can't be right. I delete it. Another one comes and I mention it casually, offhandedly to my husband. And he's like, you did something wrong. You did something wrong. And I was like, what? It turns out I had bought these stocks in futures. So I instantly lost $30,000. And that was like a huge eye opener for me of like, okay, okay, like maybe take a second, (laughs) take a second, because now that I think I'm this like money guru, I'm not, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about that feeling when you realized that you executed transactions that you hadn't intended to execute and it had a financial cost to it. I mean, I I felt sad. (laughs) I mean, that's, uh, that's how much I was paying myself a year for like a lot of years. So that that felt hard. It felt like embarrassing. But my friend's husband who works in finance, I called him and he like helped me talk through it. And I said, I'm just so embarrassed. Like, you know, I can't believe I did this. I have no idea what I'm doing. And he said to me like, Bree, there are people who know what they're doing that do this kind of stuff all the time. So like, give yourself some grace. And the truth is when he said those words to me, I was like, Okay. And to be honest, my husband was very, like after his initial, like, oh my God, what did you do? He also was like, all right, you moved on. They're paid for like, take a second, you know, have some grace. And I think that that is kind of a a thing with money in general is like learning, taking risks and giving yourself grace is like this trifecta. (laughs) And you talk to people about it, which is really helpful. It sounds like they're the right support crew. Would you describe besides learning through a mistake. You also talked about learning about money and finances. How did you go about doing that? 
to be honest, like lots of different ways. You know, I read a lot about real estate because that was something that I was interested in jumping into that I'd never done before. You know, I looked at like nerd wallet and just, I mean, all different things like that, that I was like, just trying to learn different ways. Women really need to know more about money. And so I even like recorded a newsletter that I sent out to the women through Caesar Midlife that gave tips on, you know, okay, if you can't afford to buy a condo or something like that, then you can maybe do an REIT or REIT. Is that how you call it? Re- yes. Yeah. Yeah. Re- which by the way, okay, that goes back to like my lack of knowledge. I was calling it REIT. <laughs> <laughs> and my friend was like, it's, that's not what you call it. But anyways, like I sent out this video being like, these are the things that you could do. Women need to just understand money a little bit more in just like the basic ways, you know, like of these little things that you could be doing. So the self-discovery that you're describing is so exciting to hear about, especially considering your roots and in, in what your early childhood was like. And I'm wondering, Brie, if we go back to the time when you sold your business, how did you decide it was time to sell? And how did you think about structuring the sale of that business? Because that sounds hugely pivotal. I mean, I will say in 2007, I had franchised my business, which took a ton of learning and like making my company probably like the tightest company in regards to like systems, documents, things like that, that you've ever seen. Like, for a very small business run by a girl who had no business degree. So my business was really solid. But to be honest, I don't know that I was intending on selling my business. My husband had been working in Charlotte. We were living in Wisconsin and he was coming here every other week. And it just became more and more clear that we really needed to live down here. And we had probably like a two-year runway knowing that we were going to move. But Honestly, I believed I could continue to run this business because, you know, unlike most people pre-pandemic, my business was working from home for all those years. So I thought, well, when I moved to Charlotte, why can't I keep running this business? You know, I worked from home, but again, pandemic, my school is an education school. Our hundred teachers were on site at schools. And so we were scrambling to get everything online and save the business, truly, because I think you know, you guys saw small company after small company was folding. Pretty incredible what we were able to do. And we were able to switch an online format and our families graciously didn't ask for refunds. And it, you know, it worked out. So we move. And um, again, I'm thinking, okay, like this stinks because I don't like Zoom. I don't like doing things online. And that's now the format at this point. You know, this is July of 2020. It was kind of indefinite at this point how long this is going to go on. And my kids were on this limited schedule where some of my kids were going every other day. The other ones were home at 1240. And I thought, I can't stop working at 1140 Central. Like, I can't do that. And I just realized, like, you know what? Like, I think sometimes life happens for a reason. And maybe it's time to sell my business. And a competitor had offered to buy my business. But I had a employee, I mean, she was more than an employee to me. Um, She was the director of our company at this point. And she had worked for me since she was in college. She had worked for me since she was in college. So it had been 14 years. And that's who I knew in my heart needed to buy my business because she would carry on my legacy. And truly, that business was my legacy. You know, I ran Spanish schools for kids, so... It meant more than I think, you know, maybe some other companies mean 
emotionally to me. Um, and so I approached her and she was kind of freaked out. You know, she was freaked out. One that I was wanted to sell the business, but also like, oh my gosh. So I structured it in a way. My attorney called it a sweetheart deal. He was like, this is my like fancy franchise attorney called me from the firm, even though he wasn't even the lawyer working on it to be like, we need to have a conversation. Like, are you sure this is how you want to structure this sale? Because, you know, it's not the most beneficial thing for you. But I knew she was the right person and I knew she didn't have the cash up front. So I structured it that I gave her $100,000 of working capital and then the amount that we agreed on for the business, she pays me off every month 10% of the revenue, which it's kind of an interesting thing because what's happened is this fear, this scarcity mindset, all of these things from many, many years ingrained inside of me are creeping back up as the loan amount goes down. Okay. So every month she sends me her financials and I do the math. How many more years? How much more time am I going to get this money every month? And it does give me an incredible amount of fear. All my friends know that I'm like in a state of panic, like, oh my God, what am I going to do? You know, so I think that it's interesting the way your money tail, as you guys would say it, that started in childhood can follow you. You know, I'm 47 years old. My husband has an amazing job. Like, there's really no reason why I'm just steeped in so much fear, but I still am. Thank you so much for sharing that side of your story, that you don't get to just outgrow your your youth and your scarcity mindset. It sounds like you also, because you're aware of it, you're working on it. You're mindful. And so we celebrate that with you. You're also being a lifelong serial entrepreneur with your newest, I love the name of your company, by the way, Be Somewhere Sunny. Now, this is your next venture. Tell us a little bit about what you're hoping to do. And is this partly to help control, help turn off that scarcity mindset side? I've got two different things going on right now, which is like, I think if anyone listening is an entrepreneur, they get that. There's always the ideas. So Be Somewhere Sunny was something that I started back when I lived in Wisconsin, where I would, you know, share my travels and things because I am very passionate about travel. It's like my deep passion. And also where I'm running, um, you know, the because I sold the first condo very successfully that I had renovated, just bought another one, which finished this week. So um, that's run through Somewhere Sunny. So we'll see where that goes next. I also run a company called Seizure Midlife. That is for midlife women. And that really was kind of born from the idea that a lot of us in midlife are at a pivotal point of going, okay, what's next for me? What's my next chapter? And after selling my business and realizing like just how much it was my identity and my source of pride, um, how much for me that it made me think like, oh my gosh, what am I going to, you know, what am I going to do? And I think had like a little mini life, midlife crisis. And I started Caesar Midlife and the Caesar Midlife podcast to help other women going through this, like to bring this up, but also to tell other women's stories. We had a retreat in the fall and I'm bringing 11 women to Guatemala as part of the Caesar Midlife business too. So it's kind of a, a meeting of both things. I love the travel and the women. So congratulations on all of that. And thank you for having Cami and me on this is your, your midlife podcast. That was a lot of fun. As you're exploring your own midlife, sharing with us what you have just shared about still maintaining that scarcity mindset, how's all this money stuff coming together for you as you think through the coming decades of your life? 
You know, it's so interesting because I waver every single day on this, to be honest. There are days when I say, okay, I have three years left where I don't have to worry about money, you know, because I'm getting I'm getting paid. And oh my gosh, like I got to take more advantage of this. Like I got to be going on hikes and I got to be like reading books and, you know, doing all these things. And then there's the the flip side of that, which is like, holy cow, I've got three years. What am I going to do in three years to replace that money? You know, and this just total panic. So there's this dichotomy that lives inside of me that I battle with all the time. And I had a business coach, um, her name's Marian Wagner, and she told me to say to myself every time that that comes up for me to say, I am a money magnet. And I really do try to catch myself saying that to myself so that I can kind of calm those nerves. But also kind of what I said before about continuing to educate myself. In fact, that's been something I've been writing in my goals of like continuing to educate myself about money. You know, I just made a third investment actually into a company that runs buildings in Milwaukee. They take these big warehouses and turn them into apartments. And I just made a third investment with them. So, you know, making things that hopefully will continue to give me residual income when this this three years runs out that the, the you know, the alarm, the three years. So it's definitely a very layered thing for me emotionally and mentally, to be honest. You've got your hand in so many things. I'm really, it's amazing. <laughs> and yet it's not calming this concern and this fear. Do you talk with friends about having a scarcity mindset and what insights have they shared if you do? It's interesting because I think some of my friends and I did tell my husband too how I was living with this panic and he's like, what are you talking about? Like, we're fine. You know, we met when we were young and we made $40,000 a year, both of us. And so I think he's like, God, like, why stop? But it's hard for me. And so I think I have talked about it to people, but more like, you know, I'm kind of a, a sunny side up person. And so, you know, I more make would make a joke or something like, oh my God, I'm missing, I'm panicking, you know, the three years, the three year mark. That's more how I would talk about it than being like, okay, like, let's actually look at this, you know, but on the flip side, like I said, I have, I feel like I have been taking steps, you know, doing this condo. There's just been a lot of things that I think I'm continuing to make smart decisions. And, you know, my sister just turned 30 and I feel like I could say to her like, okay, you know, time is on your side. Make sure you're making investments, you know, whatever, like I sharing your wisdom. Yeah. And I wish that Somebody would have talked to me. I didn't have any money at 30 to make an investment. But, you know, when my business started to grow, that if somebody would have said, take that money out of the checking account and put it somewhere to earn interest and like you can always put it back. You know, nobody told me that. So I do think that part of Seizure Midlife to me has also been just like trying to share things with women that I've learned over time and saying to women too, like, don't be ashamed if like your husband's paid all the bills and you have no idea. And your marriage could be amazing. It probably is. It's just a lot of times I think women fell into traditional roles. When you think about, oh, I have my hands in all these things. Well, a lot of these things I'm doing super part-time and they're not bringing in a lot of money because I still am in this place of taking my time and figuring out where I want to put my whole heart into the way that I did Futura, which was my Spanish school. I hear you talking about the scarcity mindset. And I, I know how real that is. But at the same time, I am just so inspired by your personal growth 
by your figuring out the need to diversify and learning around that and making decisions that are really aligned with what's most important to you and what your purpose is, as opposed to what might've gotten you the biggest paycheck uh, when selling your business. I, I think that's all very inspiring. And you talked about before selling your business as part of your legacy. Tell us more about what legacy means to you and how you're thinking about that as you continue to navigate through midlife. Well, let's see if I can talk about this without crying. (laughs) This has probably been my number one struggle since selling my business. I started my business. I was 25 years old. I had just moved back from living in South Korea. I had this literal vision come to me. I sat up in my bed and I wrote down what this business was going to be. And I turned it into that. And it continued to grow and grow and grow. And, you know, before you know it, it was in, you know, different states. And, you know, I was standing up in front of 70 teachers every year, giving these trainings and feeling so alive. And anytime anybody asked me what I did, I was like, oh, I'm the president of this Spanish school, you know, and people were like, wow, that's so cool. And I loved it. I was so proud of it. And then what I saw happen was moving here, selling my business people would say to me, what do you do? And I would say, I used to. And I still do that. I used to run the Spanish school because it was my identity and it was my source of pride. And I haven't figured out yet what my answer is. And I think that that has been such a huge thing for me. And to be honest, I have this moment because this is when this like midlife crisis hits me, right? Like, Oh my God. And I kept being like, Oh, send me the sign. Like, what's the next thing? Because the way my business came to me was like, like I said, just this huge idea, just clear as day. And that hasn't happened. Like I haven't had this just aha moment. And I remember being on a walk and feeling really sad. Um, This is probably about six months after moving here because it's like living on vacation here in a lot of ways. So it took about six months for this to kick in. And I remember thinking, well, maybe if I die young, then people will still think of my legacy as Futura. And then I was like, this is like a terrible way to think, especially for somebody who is like a very like, I think a bright light that I'm like, well, maybe, you know, maybe I'll die soon. And then people will be like, oh, this is what she did. But I'm not willing to do just anything. I feel very strongly about freedom of time and wanting to be generous with the people around me, freedom to travel and to make an impact. And so I'm not willing to just do something for money. I'm just not, especially at this stage in my life. You hit on something that I think so many people experience in their life. And it is a tearing moment where your identity and your source of pride isn't something that you decide to leave, sell, whatever it might be. And I really appreciate what you're doing with Seize Your Midlife podcast to help people like yourself, like all of us who are in these questions, even if we haven't done it, it's your identity. And I think by bringing the storytelling is so powerful. And I, I really commend you in doing that work. And I'm curious Maybe you haven't had the epiphany yet, but what are you thinking is the next thing you want to do to continue helping people seize their midlife, feel pride for where they are? You know, there's a lot of people who I think have ideas and they kind of sit on them. I'm like the opposite of that. I like start business. <laughs> just go for it. I just go for it. I'm like, oh, this is a really good idea. I'm going to start this business. I mean, I've started so many businesses over time. 
So I'm not somebody that's like sitting back going, oh, I have this great idea. And like, I'm not jumping at it. I think I am kind of trying to figure it out. But at the same time, I like I said to you guys before, I'm also trying to enjoy this time. Like I get my eight-year-old off the bus every day. You know, I I was in three different beach cities, you know, for soccer, working in my condo or whatever in eight days. It's a balance. I think the biggest thing I have taken away from Seizure Midlife in this time that I've started it is I don't want women to get to the end of their lives or to get much older and say, I wish I would have. I think so many people live their lives doing the same thing because they've always done it. They do the same thing because they're afraid of something new. They're afraid of taking a chance. And so I think that probably the biggest thing I think with that is like, go do it. Go try the thing. Like, who cares if it's an epic disaster? You know, and part of this trip I'm taking, bringing these women to Guatemala, this will be my eighth time. Um, and I have brought people in the past. I've never brought a group of midlife women. It's not a vacation. It's an adventure. And I know deep in my heart that these women's lives will be changed. And I feel incredibly inspired by that. And I hope that coming off that trip, that maybe I have a little bit more clarity on what this means for me with Caesar Midlife. Because I think the thing too is the pressure of what's your what's your purpose? What's your, you know, your life's work or your magnum opus or you know, all these things. It puts this just huge pressure on us, right? But instead if we just say the question, what's your next turn? Like what's your next step? What's your next purpose? I think that helps kind of alleviate. And so that's what I'm trying to just say to myself, like, what's the next thing I'm gonna do? Not what's my purpose on this earth? <laughs> Brie, that's a great segue to our final question for you, which is what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? What's interesting, um, my husband and I have always kept separate money. People are sometimes shocked by that, but I think it's been one of the best things. We don't fight about money. It's never been an issue, which I know a lot of people, that's one of their biggest issues. But I do think that these days where I'm like my three years, you know, because I've been so independent, I do think that my husband and I do need to have a money conversation of like, what's that going to look like in three years if I haven't figured out a way to replace that? It's an important conversation. Bree, that sounds like the right conversation to have. And it sounds like you're going to have a a really special conversation with your husband. He sounds like he's very engaged in money conversations. So congrats to that. You know, you are indeed a multi-passionate person. It was so fun to feel your energy. Would you share with our listeners, where's the best place for them to find you? Instagram is my favorite place to hang out. You can find me at Be Somewhere Sunny. If you are into travel and sunshine, that's the place to find me or at Caesar Midlife. And then on LinkedIn, you can find me at Brita, B-R-I-T-A, Schumacher. Thank you so much. And really, really appreciate you sharing the highs and the lows with us and the vulnerability. So thank you for joining us on the Money Tales podcast. Thanks so much. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.